0: this up, unstable ground, Foundation shakes to knock us down. Hello
1: and welcome to the final regular season episode of the 3Bid League podcast. The year has come to a close. We're moving into the A-10 tournament and we got a lot to talk about. We're going to give our predictions for the A-10 tournament and then go into our awards ballots, which I personally think is my favorite pod of the year to record, debating the awards. As always, I am your host, Tyler, joined by Matt, and we are joined by one of the best guests that we've had on this show the past few years, Matt Ryan from the A-10 Stats account. I guess both Matts, how are you guys doing today?
2: Well, Tyler, I, I just want to agree with you to start off. I, I think this is my favorite episode of the year, too. It's this one and probably our last episode of the preseason, because at the beginning of the year, we have no idea what's going to happen. We give all these crazy predictions, and this is kind of a chance to look back on some of those and make predictions for the postseason. So, yeah, it should be, it should be a good one.
0: Well, first, I want to thank you both for the the kind words. And, and yeah, um, I think part of the excitement, especially for for this podcast, is is this year, I think really the the eight ten tournament's really wide open. You know, there's definitely four or five favorites that that you know can conceivably win it. So it's definitely going to be an exciting week in uh, in DC.
1: Yeah, and you know, common sense would say that let's start there. But I have a really fun segment that I want to kick things off with, and it just doesn't feel right to throw this at the end of the pod. Where I'm sure I'm sure most of our loyal listeners will make it to the end of this episode, but certainly not all of them. And I want to throw out six quick trivia questions to you guys regarding the A-10 stats for this year. So the first five are based on the conference only leaders. So we're taking just the stats in A-10 play. Question number one, of the top five rebounders in the conference, how many have a last name that starts with the letter O?
2: gotta get at least two yeah i feel like i'm cheating because so like that's all i looked at pretty much like i have talked about this before but i pretty much only use conference sets when i do these uh postseason awards so that's kind of what i was looking at just on the a10 website i know there's oduro and oshuni i, I can't think of anyone else right now but
0: i feel like yeah I'm- those were the those were oh no um, you know what i'm gonna go with three i'm gonna go with uh oduro oshuni and ohams
2: oh shoot i forgot the obvious one yeah, that's got to be it. All right, so you're both going three.
1: It is yeah. five.
2: Wow.
1: Ohams, Oduro,
2: Obina, Okoro,
1: Okunahi oh in order.
2: That's insane. Okay.
1: Devontae Gaines, the only guy with eight or more rebounds a game whose last name does not start with O. That's my in sixth place. Wow. All right, <laughs> question number two. Who leads the A-10 in minutes per game?
2: That's uh, Jacob Gilliard. He basically hasn't come out of the game this year. It's like he, he should be playing for the Bonnies.
0: Yeah, but... that, well, see, that was that was going to be my my gut feeling is it had to be a, a St Bonaventure player. So I'm going to go with one of the five with them, and I'm going to say uh, Jaron Holmes. I-, I thought that you both would go
1: Bonaventure players. It is indeed Jacob Gilliard, who is uh-huh. first in conference minutes and third nationally in minutes percentage just a smidge above Jaron Holmes, who is fourth nationally. Okay. So question number three, how many categories did Jacob Gilliard lead the A-10 in in conference play?
0: Well, we know one. Are we counting (laughs) minutes as one? Yes,
1: that counts as one. (laughs)
0: All right, and I'm going to say steals, obviously, is is two. And I'm going to say assist rate three. So I'm going to go three, yeah.
2: Yeah, I know he had – so I I typed this up in my research. I I know he led an assist to turnover rate in minutes. I think Ace Baldwin might have had steals, so I'm going to say two.
1: It is two.
2: Oh, you know what? He dominated
1: assists to turnover, but Ace Mm -hmm. Baldwin narrowly nudged him out for steals if we're going in A-10 play by one-tenth of a steal per game. And, You're going to hang uh, a banner
2: for that at the <laughs> Steel.
1: Gilliard actually even lost out on the national steals lead this year, uh, falling to some guy in a small conference by three one-hundredths of a steal per game. He was uh-huh. at 2.97. A guy who I think played at high point was at three on the dot.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Question number four, who was the leading scorer but on a team that – does not have the name George in it. Because the George Mason and George Washington guys take up four of the top six spots in scoring.
0: Is it gibson Jimerson? I'm thinking it might be
2: Foster-Lawyer. Because I know he was hovering like 17, 18, and he finished the season with a huge game against Dayton. So I think that might be it, but I don't know. That's also missed
0: a couple games too, so that that doesn't hurt his average. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are we going average or average? Total point.
2: Okay, yeah. I'm going to go lawyer then. (laughs) Matt is – this
1: pod's Matt is on fire. That's three in a row. It is Foster Mm. Lawyer, (laughs) whose huge game actually put him in second behind Josh Aduro, who – finished almost a full point a game ahead of everybody
0: else.
2: Yeah, I thought thought he might come back rusty against Dayton. That didn't happen. No, <laughs> so. he, he
0: certainly was not. And and I think I tweeted out, I just I still don't understand how that guy didn't make it at, at Michigan State. I mean he hit mm. three or four contested shots over I mean I think he hit shots over Holmes. He hit shots over Malachi Smith. You know, he he just was was shooting from everywhere and, and hitting them it seemed like I've
1: I've said it many times this year. I don't understand how Foster Lawyer wouldn't be good on any team with good talent around him for him to get the ball to. So, yeah. All right. This one is like a, like a quadruple bonus question. If you can (laughs) nail both of these, (laughs) who are the only two players to finish in the top 25 in the conference in both blocks and steals?
0: I think, Ooh, I think I know Vince one. Williams is one of them. Yeah, that's who I have. It is. But
1: so I, that's, that's the easy one. Vince I have Williams no idea
0: who, who the other wanted. one. Mm. I'm going to guess, I feel like when I was looking at some stats, one of the Mitchell twins was high, obviously high in blocks, but then I feel like he had a higher number of um, of steals than you'd expect. So I'm going to take a 50-50 shot and say it's Mikel Mitchell.
2: I'm just going to throw out a name that you like tyler let's just go ricky lindo all-around player i, I don't i have no idea though. oh you know
0: what no i'm gonna change my answer i'm gonna go with joe bam's uh, Bamus meal Ooh, that's a good guess too
1: ah crap there's actually four of them <laughs> oh, i screwed this up bad question makai um, mitchell and ricky lindo are both in there all right we i both- don't know how this is <laughs> I, I don't research pod questions at 2 30 in the morning because that's how <laughs> this came about but no the other one was kevin Easley. Oh, which I wouldn't have even
0: guessed. Yeah, I want to guess that in 100 years.
1: And then lastly, this is for the full season on a national scale. What A-10 player is number one, the absolute best in the country in turnover rate?
2: Ooh, it's Mm got to be someone that like, oh, I think I know this. It's got to be someone that like never has the ball in his hands, though. I I think it's Nick
0: Sherrod. I think you're right.
1: It is Nick Sherrod.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> the
1: only player in college basketball to play at least forty percent of his team's minutes and turn the ball over less than five percent of the time.
2: I'm talking about that's what you get with
0: the experience of right. playing on Richmond. So you know, you know how not to turn it over playing twelve years in a system. Yep. Hey, yeah, you weren't a few things.
2: <laughs> I just – i that's, like, the type of random things, like when I'm just scrolling Ken Palm and I see, like, ooh, that's that's an interesting stat, and somehow that stays in the back of my mind. But <laughs> here you go, Nick Sherrod. Good for yeah, him. Yeah,
1: that's exactly how I found it. I was looking for the Tyler Burton advanced stats mm. and stumbled upon this little Nick Sherrod gem. So I hope everybody enjoyed guessing along at home. Um, we'll, we'll move into the A-10 tournament now. And, Matt, you may – Matt, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to separate this stuff from <laughs> pod, but Matt, you made the great point that this thing is wide open. You said four to five teams. I think people who are being facetious like to say six. And to me, there is a clear, clear divide between Richmond at six and then everybody else. Now, I think if you're trying to map out a path for the Spiders to win this thing, they got to beat three of the teams ahead of them and ideally they don't have to play VCU. Well, they're not getting that path. They're going to have to play them no matter what. And I think that probably takes the spiders out of the equation, but any of the other five absolutely could win. Even St. Louis who was in a little bit of a tailspin really beat the crap out of VCU for 37 minutes yesterday and then just horribly finished that game. So I guess we'll I guess we'll start there. Who do you guys see winning this tournament?
0: So you know, three three University of Dayton graduates on the podcast. Uh, it, I'm going to sound like a homer, but I think you know Dayton is the favorite. And I don't think it's just you know three UD grads talking that it comes down to that. Uh, I saw the Ken Palm. Uh, probabilities today. He has Dayton as the favorite. I have. I saw the Bart Torvik probabilities. He also has Dayton as the favorite. And but but he's, they're they're not overwhelming favorites to to say the least. And I think you know anyone listening to this podcast knows what their flaws are. That they can go cold def- uh, offensively for long periods of time because they are probably turning the ball over a lot. Um, but that defense is is going to keep them in the game um, against pretty much everyone. Um, I think. You know talking about the game yesterday against uh, Davidson, I think the surprising part was was how well Dayton's offense offense played. You know that they were able to keep up with with that Davidson defense. They really didn't make a dent in the um in the Davidson defense yesterday, but but they were able to to keep up with them. So I think if you can get offensive performances like that like they put forth against Davidson and the defenses at the level that um at they that they played. All year, I really think that that Dayton is the favorite, but I, I I don't think it's an overwhelming favorite. I think St. Louis is definitely, even though they don't have the uh, the double buy, I, I I really like them. The the underlying numbers have uh have said that they, along with Dayton, have been one of the more well rounded teams um, in the conference this year. So um, all the other teams that are favorites like VCU, uh, Saint Bonaventure, uh, uh, Davidson, I think they all kind of have one flaw that can be exploited um in a in a game but whereas i think uh st louis and and dayton definitely are the the two teams that are most well-rounded and and i think that will um one of those two will definitely uh be cutting down the nets in uh, dc
2: yeah i'd say i like those teams too i think with dayton one thing to keep in mind the they just got a lot of good breaks going their way saturday with george mason losing to umass and then Um, with VCU losing to St. Louis, they ended up as the two seed and they get the winner of GW and UMass in that seven ten game. So not to get ahead of ourselves with the Flyers, but they have a pretty clear path to the semifinals, which I think you have to like. I'm not feeling great about a potential VCU matchup, even after what happened the last time. That's just always such a tough game. And then looking over to the other side, I do like St. Louis too. I agree, Matt. They're very well-rounded, very good offensive team and they defend very well i actually think i like them to get past saint bonaventure assuming they make it through one of the philly teams they're going to play on thursday just because in that second saint bonaventure game at the end saint louis started making a big comeback it seemed like maybe they started figuring out the matchup i'm just worried though historically the last three years we've seen Travis Ford really, really struggled mm. against Davidson. Uh, Bob McKillips just found the perfect recipe to defend St. Louis by packing it in the paint, and that's a game I'd be worried about for St. Louis, although we also see the one seed, except with the exception of last year. Usually they don't do too well in this tournament, so I agree, though. It's, it's super wide open.
0: And one of the interesting things about SLU is that they're, they're very good at uh, they're a very good three-point shooting team but they're they take one of the lowest attempt rates from three-point mm-hmm. shooting you know in, in the conference and, and in the country so I, I i think they're good shooters i don't know why they don't shoot it more and, and i'm sure the their percentage would go down if they take more but i still think it would be it, it, it would be effective if like you said davidson does pack the paint against them um talking about st bonaventure um they've definitely looked Really good the, the the last few games uh, coming into the tournament. My big worry with them is uh, Asuna Suni's health. Uh, you know, is he going to be healthy? He, he seemed to be healthy uh, yesterday or on Friday, um, but he's seemed to be healthy a couple times and then you know injured himself again. So if he's uh, we saw against VCU when he wasn't in, what happened to them? And I, I think it would be a similar story if he's not out there in any of these any of these um, semifinals or, or, or quarterfinals of the uh, tournament.
1: Look, if if Ashuna he's out, or I, I guess at this point we know he's going to play, but if he's not 100%, I just don't see the Bonnies having a chance to win this thing, especially when you look at the path that they're almost certainly going to have to beat Slew and Davidson just to get to Sunday. It, it's such a tall order to ask that team to beat three other good teams. If they had a better draw like Dayton does, and you guys mentioned Dayton got an amazing break that they'll most likely play GW in the quarters. Like I know you don't normally crush a team three times and someone from a 10 talk in their spaces earlier today mentioned that, Oh, they, they think that because of that GW will be able to keep it close this time. I did not see one single second of either of those two games that make me believe that Dayton will not throttle that team again. It, and, like that was the most lopsided matchup in the entire conference this year.
0: And I think that's just kind of what type of team George Washington is, um, you know, they, they're definitely improved compared to the last few years, but I think they're something like two and eight or two and six, something like that against the, um, the, the top half of the conference. So they're definitely, definitely not a team that's, you know, built to, to play up to their competition. They, they kind of punched down this year in, in getting to their, to their, Spot in the uh, bracket, so I would agree. You know, maybe it'll it, it may not be a twenty twenty point blowout or anything like that, but I certainly think they will will have enough to to beat George Washington if, if that's who they meet in that first game.
1: Yeah, and I I checked it in passing the other day, so I don't remember the specific records, but GW only had, or I guess because they lost to Fordham now, uh, GW only had two losses to the bottom half of the conference this year, so they cleaned up against the bottom half in good for them. That means they probably will beat UMass, but it also means that they are not a dangerous upset team in my eyes. But uh, looking at everything overall, you guys talked about the matchups for Davidson. I think Davidson's in a beautiful spot. Now, first of all, we should remind everybody that despite the one seed struggles, Davidson has never failed to make the A-10 semifinals since they've joined the conference. And I don't see any reason why George Mason or is going to prevent that streak from continuing. But then you get into the semis and like Matt said, McKillop has basically just owned Travis Ford the last few years. And on the other side, the one weakness that still really bothers me for St. Bonaventure who I, I love how they're playing right now. I'm going to throw out the VCU game because there was so much weird stuff. Ashuna, was coming back from the injury. Attaway and Jalen Adams were both sick and didn't practice at all leading up, or uh, Quadri Adams, Jalen Adams is gone, Um, but the Bonaventure three-point defense is still bad, and that's their team's biggest weakness this year, and we saw it in the two Davidson games earlier that even when the Bonnies played well offensively in both of those games, they just could not keep up in the shootout, so I think Davidson's got a very, very nice path to the final here. And then at that point, you get the winner of Dayton VCU, I think both those teams are just playing better basketball right now than the Wildcats, and they both will have the extra layer of desperation of knowing that if they lose that game, they could be left out. Davidson, if they make the finals, they don't have to worry. They know that they'll be somewhere in the 7-10 in the to 10 range no matter what happens that Sunday afternoon.
0: Yeah, and uh, you bring up St. Bonaventure's uh, three-point defense, and and I wrote about that on on my site, um, talking about how last year and this year they they gave up, you know, they allowed opponents to shoot one of the highest attempt rates from three-point range last year. They didn't fall in this year. They're they're falling in at above average pace. You know, is that just kind of regression to the mean? Is that because their legs are tired because they're only playing five guys? You know, there's probably a little bit of both, but um, it's certainly... That, that certainly doesn't bode well for a, a potential Davidson matchup when we're talking about Foster Lawyer um, shooting over anyone who was in front of him in, in, in UD Arena this weekend.
2: Yeah, no, I, I do think that's going to be a tough matchup. I, I think Davidson did get a good draw. And really, they shouldn't have too much to worry about. Assuming they get past that first, uh, either the 8 seed or 9 seed. they should be safe for the tournament. One more corner of the bracket we haven't really looked at, though, I want to ask you guys about Richmond. Obviously, they've already lost to VCU twice. We all know Chris Mooney's track record against the Rams. It's not very good. Do we think they have a fighting chance? Assuming they get past probably Rhode Island, which is honestly a game I think could present challenges for the Spiders just because of Rhodey's size. But I, I don't know. Can Richmond finally get the monkey off their back and beat their crosstown rival? We know the the cliche it's tough to beat a team three times but with vcu it it doesn't seem like they're going to have too much trouble to me
0: yeah i i do not think so (laughs) no i i I just i i mean i i think it's just kind of one of those matchups where where all of um all of richmond's weaknesses fall into to uh vcu's strengths so so i just can't see a a, uh you know a game that, that Richmond pulls off a win against their rival there.
1: I think the only roadmap, because like I said, I think this is the absolute worst matchup for Richmond of anybody in the top five. It, I think it just comes down to maybe you catch some whistle happy refs and either Baldwin or Williams is out of that game, six, seven minutes in in foul trouble. And then if that happens, it, it kind of evens the playing field for Richmond The only other thing is if VCU just gets over-aggressive and, you know, like we said, Jacob Gilliard dominated an assist to turnover rate this year. He takes care of the ball. And if this becomes a VCU gets over-aggressive, they cannot get the ball out of Gilliard's hands and he just kills them in transition. And they're basically playing like a fast version of their little Princeton offense, which they've succeeded at like maybe once with this crew. I can see it happening, but if Richmond just plays a normal Richmond style game, I don't think they're beating them. Chris Mooney better have something up his sleeve and he's seen this team enough that maybe he does.
0: And and I think he kind of, they'd have to play out of the ordinary from how they normally play. You know, they have one of the lowest free throw rates in the, in the conference uh, Richmond does. They have one of the, the highest, um, Highest three-point percentage in, in terms of attempts, so they're not going to get to the free throw line a lot because they're not they are mostly a jump shooting team. So I think it's going to take you know a, a huge change from Richmond to possibly beat VCU and, and you know it, in a one-off. I just don't see it, it it being successful.
1: The only other thing is if because we've seen it earlier this year, the the Davidson game comes to mind that if Burton and Gilliard both just play A plus games simultaneously they can beat anybody but for them to get through this they probably need that to happen two of the three games
0: and, and Burton's such a athletic freak you know he does everything well but but i think there's so many you know there's four or five guys that that can hang with him on defense on vcu so you know if one or two guys are in foul trouble they they have um, you know a couple guys off the bench that they can bring on that might not you know pack the same offensive punch as a as a Vince Williams or as a Ace Baldwin but they're definitely going to be able to hang with burden on defense so you know it, there's just a lot a lot of dominoes have to fall in place I think for for Richmond to to be successful in order to beat VCU in that matchup
1: yeah and I think you can deploy Williams Curry or Baldwin off on him from the start just a lot of good options there but Personally, for my prediction, I'm going to say, I I think whoever wins Dayton VCU on Saturday wins the tournament. Like I said, both of those teams are just playing better right now than Davidson. I think that the desperation in a matchup that close is, is a deciding factor. Um, And also I just, I just really hope Dayton VCU happens. (laughs) because we need that rubber match it's going to be a sensational sensational game I'd give the Flyers a slight favorite right now so I guess that means that I'm picking them to win the tournament but if I sleep on it a few more times between now and Friday I I could very easily flip to VCU I think they're basically co-favorites with David with Davidson right behind
0: and I think if you you know It depends what type of Dayton we see, you know, maybe in that first, you know, game against either uh, EGW or or UMass, where if Dayton's kind of puttering on offense, turning the ball over, you know, not looking, looking sharp, you know, I definitely would going into a potential matchup with VCU would definitely, um, definitely put VCU as the favorites if, if Dayton struggles in that first game and, and aren't looking up to it. But I, but no matter, you know, who you have as a favorite in that game, I definitely would take the, uh, the under no matter what Vegas sets the line at yeah. for, for that game.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, I mean that Dayton VCU, if we do get that in the semis, it's going to be a huge game. I think in terms of making a prediction, I, I don't know. I almost feel like I want to take VCU to win the whole thing over davidson i just the homer in me wants to pick dayton all the way but the homer in me has also seen dayton struggle (laughs) for years and years in the a-10 tournament and i don't know vcu is just on such a roll ever since dayton blew them out at the seagull center they went on a huge winning streak i mean even made a big comeback against st louis where that game could have gotten ugly fast and they had a chance to win it in the final minute so I think I'm going to go VCU over Davidson. We'll make it a three-bid lead with the Rams, Wildcats, and Loyola Chicago, who just clinched <laughs> that. So uh, that's that's going to be my final, final answer for now. Although, you know, I could sleep on it, just like you said, Tyler. Maybe something will change my mind.
1: My only other thing in terms of who might win this is I, I, at any moment, I'm also dangerously liable to just flip and just buy into the narrative of Dom Welch playing – the greatest defensive game of his life against Davidson. Because I think if Bonifetcher gets to the final, I think all bets are off then at that point where those guys will be able to taste it again. One last run to the NCAA tournament, one game away. I think I'd probably pick them over anybody they play on Sunday, even if I don't think they're as good as those teams. But like I said, I just, I hate the Davidson matchup for them. Yeah. And I think they have the toughest path of any of these four.
0: Yeah, and even you know, uh, St. Louis. You know, they beat them twice, but but the first one w- was was kind of close. In um, I think it was in it was in St. Louis was the first the, the first, first match. Oh no, it was in yeah, it was in St. Louis. Yeah. First of their back to back matchup. It was it was a closer game. Um, I think Slew led for for much of the first half. Um, so it it you know you like those guys. They have the experience. The, those five starters on Bonaventure. But I just think. The, the path to get there is going to be so so draining for them to to beat Slew, to beat Davidson and, and then get to a final, you know we, we it's been the talk of a ten Twitter all year. You know they're playing five guys five and a half um, with with Kulibali maybe a little bit and mixed in there and and I just think they might run out of gas if they get to the uh, get to the final.
1: Yeah, Koulibaly counts as a half now because he see he he has seen a little bit of a bump up in his minutes in the closing few weeks, but last question I want to pose to you guys about the tournament. So, like we said, clear divide, top six and everybody else right now. Looking at the bracket, is there a matchup that you see that could potentially lead to an upset of one of those teams? Like for me, the one I'm looking at is Rhode Island just matches up really well with Richmond. They're going to be able to try to pound them inside. Now, if Rhode Island just, decides that they'll go small against Duquesne's small lineup they might not survive the pillow fight because they should just pound the dukes inside but that's one where I, i'd be a little bit on edge for the spiders that's definitely the team in the bottom i don't want to play if i'm them but richmond's just so much more talented than them and so i i don't think i'm gonna be able to talk myself into an upset there
0: yeah the, the, the matchup wise i definitely agree with you that that that's one that that can present a problem and then if rhode island's playing vcu i just feel like there's there's like a a hoodoo when Rhode Island plays VCU in the A10 tournament. You know they're almost guaranteed to win, but but just watching Rhode Island uh, the the last couple of weeks of the season, really all the the entire month of uh, February, they just looked like they'd they'd rather be anywhere else but on a basketball court, except that maybe the uh, only only uh, moment when they didn't do that was the the Davidson win. But other than that, they just kind of look, looked checked out. Um, body language didn't look great, and so um, I. I think they, you know, they present a matchup problem for Richmond, but I just think they'll they'll be ready to uh, end the season.
2: When the bracket came out, I. I saw that Rhode Island Richmond potential matchup and my eyes lit up a little bit like that could be an interesting one. But then I realized like wait a minute, Roadies lost eleven out of thirteen. They're <laughs> down in the pillow fight for a reason. They're not
0: good. That's that's yeah. I mean they are. They, they have a lot of talent. It, it's just kind of incredible that they that they fell to the mm-hmm. to the pillow fight. I mean that that's if that's not damning of the the job <laughs> that David Cox has done. You know, having those two Mitchell brothers who may be the two two best rim protectors in the in the conference and and you're you're in 11th i mean you oh. it's time for it's time for a change <laughs> is is uh, is what happens when when that type of thing happens
2: and speaking of a team that you could argue got a lot less with more talent i know i just bring this up because dr john talked us with um <clears throat> a couple weeks ago but saint joe's is the 13 seed we still know though they have a lot of shot makers. They can
0: get hot from three
2: at any time. It hasn't happened a lot recently, but one well, funks out now. Yeah, oh, I,
0: shoot, I, I forgot about that. You're right. Don't, don't want to spoil my uh, David Jablonski eight ten bracket entry, but I def- I have LaSalle win in that first game uh, against. Well, the it's Jones. possible
1: that LaSalle. It's possible that more might be out too. So uh. <laughs> that that might just be a, sur- be a-, a, a battle of survivors there explorers
2: um, on a three game winning streak though finishing yeah. the season strong so
1: the, the only other thing i want to point out because you guys say oh rhode island still has a decent amount of talent i've just never liked their perimeter players all year i had them in the pillow fight to start the year and honestly of all of my predictions that's probably the one that and Dayton, it too those are the two that i feel great about months later i i just i've never liked their perimeter guys i just don't think roadie's that good the only other one for me Fordham's played three really good halves against Davidson this year, and one just abominably awful one. Mm-hmm. But on the big stage, I just, I just don't think they have the firepower to do it. It maybe if they still had Day, yeah. But they, Davidson you know, understands that that is a potentially ruin your season game, and they're not going to come out flat.
0: And and Fordham's defense is is really really good. It's a top fifty defense on Ken Palm, but their offense is just putrid like the defense keeps them in games but I think I think even with a defense like that that a a, a potential matchup against Davidson they're gonna Davidson's gonna figure out a way to to unlock that at some point like you said they 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 hang tough and, and it might be a closer game than than what the bookies would expect but I but I wouldn't have I wouldn't guess that Davidson would would end up losing to them.
1: All right so we are on the record here we got A Dayton prediction, a VCU prediction, a Dayton leaning towards VCU prediction. Seems like we all believe that the champion will come out of the bottom half of the bracket here. But what we all agree on, this is going to be very fun. And my only one great wish for this tournament is that neither Dayton or Davidson screws up their quarterfinal game. Because I think we have a chance for just an unbelievably fun Saturday and Sunday. And if we have four of those top six teams, I don't care which four it is, it's gonna be delightful to watch. So we'll slide in now to, like we, like Matt and I said at the beginning, our favorite pod of the entire year, our awards ballots. Uh, when people are hearing this, if you're listening on Monday morning, all three of us had votes in the A-10 media awards. Those results from a, a panel of great voters around the A-10 Twitter sphere will be coming out later in the day, Monday. If it's Tuesday or Wednesday that you're listening to this, uh, go check our Twitter account at the number three bid league pod to see those results. But Matt, since you are our guest and we have done this ourselves now three times to very lengthy results. (laughs) uh, I think that you should kind of kick things off here. What, where do you want to start this discussion?
0: So I think we should start at the top with player of the year. and, And I say that because um you know thinking about who i was going to pick for this award uh the last few years it, it was pretty cut and dry for this award in the a10 2020 obi Toppin. 2021 bones highland this year i think there, there's two or three guys that that you could definitely make a case with um I, I went back and forth between a couple of them um i was thinking either vince williams i was either thinking um josh duro or i was either, either thinking luka brekovic and i went with uh Luka Brekovic just because I I think he was the best player on the best team and and, you know I I certainly will listen to arguments for Williams I certainly will listen to arguments for Oduro Um, but but I think just because he put up the he was the best player on the best team um, I think he gets the award for me for this this year.
2: I had the same top three and I really I would be happy with any of those three winning the actual award. I don't really think anyone else is as strong of a case, but the guys you mentioned all like really strong all around seasons. I actually had Bradkiewicz pretty much the whole conference season, or at least the whole second half of the conference season. But last few games, I I switched it to Vince Williams for the simple fact, like both really good offensive seasons, Bradkiewicz definitely better, but Williams with his defense is just, I think what pushes him over the top and also really good offense. I mean, he was one of the best three point shooters in the conference at 44% averaged over 15 points a game, uh, three and a half assists per game. It's a tough fight. I think what really also solidified Williams for me, I didn't realize how efficient he was offensively. Not only did he shoot the three extremely well, but he was at 65.7% from two, which was second best or sorry, first in conference. So overall, just his offensive growth in conference play this year is incredible. So that's where I landed.
1: So I had four guys under consideration, those same three plus foster lawyer for his role as just the, the Chris Paul archetype and constantly running that show for Davidson. I also, I just felt like all season long, every time Davidson needed a, big play since that Rhode Island debacle where nobody was stepping up. Either Brankovic or Foster Lawyer was going to deliver that play. And they did, one of them did time after time, after time. I think Joshua Durrell was the most excellent player in the conference. If we were picking an offensive player of the year, he wins that award hands down, but you, in a good season like this, you can't give player of the year to a, a guy on a team that finished ninth. Uh, Vince Williams is the best two-way player. But for me, as I went back and forth, largely between Williams, Lawyer, and Breikovic, the one stat that basically sealed it for me is the unofficial one that Breikovic played two bad games this year in conference play, and they lost both of them. So basically, when Luka Breikovic played well, Davidson went 15-1. and And that is kind of the pseudo-tiebreaker for me, that while he didn't put up the big scoring numbers that Lawyer did, while he is certainly nowhere near the defender that Vince Williams is, he was just a guy who led to winning basketball this year. And if you wanna get into the stats, like his, his conference numbers are absolutely excellent. 16 points a game, 7.7 rebounds. He was shooting almost 60% from the field despite the fact that he takes three threes a game. That of course, because he's shooting 44% from deep. So he can score from wherever. He can beat any one-on-one. He's top 25 in the nation in effective field goal percentage, and this is, really is an MVP argument. It's the baseball argument: who led to the, who did the most to lead to the most wins? That was Luka Brekovic this season.
0: I think Brekovic doesn't give enough uh, enough praise for his his defensive work too. You know, Vince Williams definitely is an is amazing way player. He, he was he was my. Defensive Player of the Year pick uh, Vince Williams was, but Reykjavik has, he's got a 5.1 block rate, which is top 150 in the country. And I think more importantly, when he's on the court, opponents score 11.27 points per 100 possessions less than when he's off the court. So, you, you know, Davidson's defense isn't great, but I think it really you know, gets a lot worse when he's off the court. So I think he doesn't give enough, get enough credit really for for being a two way player. And, and like you said, you know, we saw it against Dayton when, when he went off the court. You know, Dayton attacked the rim and, and had did a much better job of of doing it. So I, I think you know he he's definitely a, a two way player, and and I think that helps his argument when it comes to Player of the Year.
1: Yeah, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend like Brejkovic is a bad defensive player anymore. He's not, but. It's just, it, it didn't factor into my decision making. I think he is now slightly above average, and that's kind of where that, that's actually better than Oduro. That's better than Foster Lawyer. So when it was the him Williams comparison, that, that actually does hurt him. But.
2: Yes, yeah, I think too. With Oduro, going back to him, since I think you could make a case, it, it's tough picking a guy on a team that finished below 500. You could make the argument statistically he had the best season in the A 10 I think he ended up I as the highest is. usage player, too. Um, I mean, Mason just worked everything through him. But first in scoring, 19 points a game. Second in rebounding with 8.3. So, I mean, he, he is much improved this season, too. Unfortunately, just didn't really have as much help as these other guys said. But, I mean, if you're just going off through all, like, counting sets, it's probably Oduro. But... I think Brackovich, though, I mean, that's a very solid choice. I'm kind of expecting him to win the actual award, too, just since it it often goes to a team that wins the outright regular season title. So the only issue, though, I, I also wouldn't be surprised if in the real vote we end up seeing the Davidson guys split the votes because both Lawyer and Young Jun Lee, I mean, they're going to get some first-team consideration, too, so that might also hurt like any one of them winning player of the year.
1: I think it'll be Brankovic with a slight chance that it's Vince Williams. Yeah. Agreed. I don't see any, I don't see anyone else actually winning it, even though there are, there are guys who are potentially deserving. Um, The other top awards here, or actually let's go into all conference teams. We'll, we'll link the rest with their teams. Um, So First team, we just talked about all these guys. I would say, think that we clearly all have Breikovic, Williams, and Oduro on the first team. Yep. My mm-hmm. other two, as I mentioned, Foster Lawyer. Jun Lee put up basically equivalent stats across the season to Lawyer, but he tailed off more in conference play, whereas Lawyer just has been getting stronger and stronger ever since the Alabama game as he gets more comfortable being a part of this team. So, I ended up leaving Lee off along with Yuri Collins, who was also under consideration, and Jalen Attaway, who was a little bit of an outside guy, but had to think about him for the top five. Final spot, I'm looking for two-way excellence again, and I am rewarding Duron Holmes, despite the fact that his numbers are just not what you typically see from a first-team guy. He's scoring only about 13 points a game in conference, shade over six rebounds. But he's the best player on the second best defensive team in the conference. He's, I would say, the second best offensive player on a team that's also top three in offense. And I think that he should be rewarded for just utter two way excellence. There's really nothing that Deron Holmes does poorly as long as you just ignore free throw shooting.
2: <laughs>
0: hey, yeah, 11 for 14 against Davidson or
2: something
1: that like that. That was amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, I had him on my, my first team as well. And, and I feel like we're going to get the Homer tag, but I think it, it, you know, along with the the reasons that, that you just shared, Tyler, I think, you know, he, he's the best player on the second best team. Kind of the, the same thinking that I I went along with for for Breakovic for player of the year. Uh, I, I think it's a similar argument for Holmes for, for why he should be first team. Um, you know, Dayton Dayton finished second in the conference, and, and he's clearly the, the the best player on that team because, uh, you know, he he anchors the defense. He he's you know a block, shot, block a shot blocking dynamo, and and you know he's he's really you know grown as an offensive player over the season so so i think he he's the best offensive player on the team now too so well or, or at least the most consistent <laughs> maybe so I, I definitely think he's worthy of a of a first uh, first team position
2: yeah i, I agree and I, I ended up with holmes as my one of my other first team picks so i had Brackovich, williams oduro and holmes um pretty much agree with what you guys said just super important to one of the best teams in the conference and his two way skills were huge. My fifth pick, which I second guess this so much, I had it between three or four guys and I would be surprised. I don't think very many people will agree with this pick, but I don't care. He's a friend of the podcast. Now Jacob Gilliard is uh, my fifth and final first team pick the defense. We all know, I mean, one of the best steel rates in the country every year, Really, it was his assist numbers, too. Though seventh in the conference in assists, first in assists to turnover by a wide margin, 3.6, which second best was Malachi Smith at 2.6. So just did a great job taking care of the ball. He got up to 14 points per game in conference play, which is much higher than where we've seen him the last couple years. Usually he's been around 10, 11, 12. He's done that on 37% three-point shooting in conference play. And really, I just look at it When I watch Richmond in the conference, they weren't as good as they had hoped. They finished sixth place. I feel like it could have been much, much worse if Gillyard didn't have the season he had. And like in the beginning of the year, it was Tyler Burton carrying the Spiders and Gillyard really wasn't playing quite as well up to his standards. But I, like I said, I pretty much just look at conference stats for this. And I thought, you know, the final two and a half months of the season, he was good enough for me, so... I wanted to pick Foster Lawyer. I think it came down to him missing four games, though, right in the season, even though he did come back strong. And I initially had him out after the Dayton game. I thought maybe I need to reconsider that, but I ended up with Gilliard there.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with with his... What what you're saying about Gilliard's contribution? I had him in the second team. Um, I had Hyungjin Lee uh, to round out. What was the only difference from you guys with with my first team? Um, but but I think Gilliard was is definitely in the conversation for a first team. You know, for for all the reasons you stated. So I don't think that's that's an absurd pick.
1: Gilliard was basically the last guy that I cut from my first team consideration before I really dove into the deep the deep analysis. Uh, So basically I'm saying I had him ninth, Um, easily, easily a second team guy, but I think the inconsistency of Richmond's offense kind of just dragged him down for me where some nights he was an amazing scorer. Other nights he disappeared on the offensive end and so did the rest of the spiders. And so I, I, I couldn't throw him on first team over lawyer who was, basically just spending all season, just making huge play after huge play. And yeah, that's basically it.
2: Yeah. And I I think that's a fair case. And I will say part of this too, I just have a hard time loading up too many like players from any one team on the first and second teams. And I'll get to this when we go through our second teams here in a second, but really it comes down to ever since the undefeated Dayton team only got, they had two players on the first team and then Trey Landers on the third team. I pretty much refuse to go any better than that for any team. Trey
1: Landers should have been higher.
2: He, yeah. he should have, and he wasn't, got robbed. <laughs> But, like, so coming up on the second team, though, I have Lee and Hoyer both there. I just, maybe it's a thing of principle. I'm not putting either one of them on the first team because that would make it, like, you know, higher standards than what that Dayton team had. And I'm just not going there. Dav- Davidson was <laughs> the best; they had the best record in the conference, but they weren't that much better than everyone else. Where that Dayton team just ran the table and dominated the league, so maybe not the best reasoning, but that's kind of how I looked at it.
1: <laughs> also, I want to th- I want to throw out two, one other one that I think will get serious first team consideration. I think will actually make the six man conference team is Yuri Collins mm-hmm. and he lost out because he just turns the ball over too much. He's at four a game. And when you're comparing him to the likes of Lawyer and Gilliard, and the excellent big men that we talked about, like you just can't have that one big massive flaw that he has.
2: Well, I think with Yuri, it's the same problem you brought up with Gilliard. He just had a few too many games where he just completely disappeared. I mean, I think really both Bonaventure games, if I'm not mistaken, he didn't play that well really struggled against Dayton the first matchup. And then a couple of other times, especially if you go back to the non-conference where St. Louis was losing close games against good teams. I think he really struggled against Belmont. Yeah, I, I think against, that inconsistency hurts him a little bit.
1: Against the best point guards in the league. Collins was not great this season. Now, when he played point guards that were clearly a notch lesser than him, he mm-hmm. completely destroyed them and just ground them into the earth. But Against Lofton, against Malachi Smith in the road game, in the home game, he was incredible. Against Baldwin, against Gilliard. And he didn't get to play Foster Lawyer because Lawyer was hurt that game. But against those guys, Yuri Collins just did not rise to the challenge.
0: Yeah, and I I had him on my second team as well. Um, When we were talking about the the tournament and, and slew, possibly matching up with Davidson, who might pack the paint. He was definitely um, exhibit A in, in the why doesn't he shoot more threes. Um, he's shooting 38% from three-point range this season, but only 20.1% of his shots have come from three-point range. So he, his scoring, I think he just needs to, to, to become a first-team player I think he kind of needs to to become that elite scorer that kind of like Lofton can get to the bucket anytime he wants. Gilliard can get to the bucket anytime he wants or, or get a basket anytime he wants. He kind of needs to become that guy in, in order to make that jump to the first team. But he's definitely, I think, you know, in the discussion of first team, he, he's, like I said, he's a second teamer for me. He just kind of needs to make that next step when it comes to his his ability to score.
1: So we all have Jun Lee... Yuri Collins. Um, Matt, do you also, have, do you have Gilliard on second team?
0: Yeah, I do. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, and then um, I assume that you both have Foster Lawyer there? Uh, yep. Okay. So yep. we're basically down to two spots here. For me, the only other guy that was really easy for the second team is Jalen Attaway, who has been St. Bonaventure's best player. And as this team has struggled and the rest of the guys have basically gone backwards this year, Jalen Attaway has taken a huge step up. He is now the team's leading scorer after last year, I believe he came in fourth. His rebounding's up. He continues to guard opposing power forwards from an undersized spot. And he has been excellent in every facet of the game this year. I'm very interested to see how this ends up going with the coaches who we have seen will, will award players for legacy. And with Lofton and Ashunahi having come into the year, obviously as well-regarded superstars, I'm intrigued if they finish better than Jalen Attaway on the official all-conference teams. But to me, I I absolutely do not think that they should.
0: Yeah, I have Attaway in my second team as well. Um, his, his ability just to, to score anywhere is, is incredible. Um, you know he's, he scores 67% of his field goals at the rim. he makes uh, 43% of his mid-range shots which is well above average and he's hitting almost 38% of his threes. so he's just a player that you know can get a bucket anywhere on the court and, and you know we, we know the up and down ride it's been for the Bonnies this year um, and he's just kind of been the most consistent player I think in the, um, the entire team of all those five guys.
2: And I think, too, with Attaway, it was really important for him to be able to take more of those tough shots this year and make them. And he's just grown so much. If you go back to his first couple games last year after he transferred to Bonaventure, I almost felt like he suffered from R.J. Blakeney syndrome a couple games where he just didn't seem comfortable shooting the ball. He just hesitated too much. But now you see him taking these pull-up mid-ranges, fadeaways. He's a good three-point shooter, like you said. So definitely very important to the Bonnies. I actually ended up putting him on my third team, but I put a different Bonnie Oshun Oshun Oshuni on the second team, which it it was tough. I think for Oshun, he's still an elite, elite defender. And he also did, I I thought he stepped up his offensive game a little bit. Um, Really impressed by his last game on senior night against Richmond to come back from that injury. But overall, I felt like he just had a stronger performance at the rim this year. It seemed like he was getting even more dunks than usual. And Really, it was mostly just they both had good offensive seasons. Attaway, a little bit better, but I feel like Oshuni's just monstrous defensive production, whereas, as we talked about earlier, the Bonnies did struggle a little bit more defending the perimeter this year, which I wouldn't say that's all on Attaway, but if we're looking at where the Bonnies defense comes from, it's still centered around Oshuni to me.
1: I think the gap closed defensively this year. To me, Ashunahi, especially in February, because in January, he was pretty good. I I felt like he took a half a step back defensively the last month of the year. And maybe that was some sort of injury issue. But he just, he wasn't quite the same dominant guy that he was last year. As seen in St. Bonaventure's two-point percentage defense numbers. They're 49.4% opponent shooting percentage. That's good for 166 in the country, which is basically dead average. Last year, they were top 25 nationally in that metric. It was the centerpiece of why they were the A-10 champions. And as we'll get to later, I still have Ashunahi on my old defensive team. I think it's close. I don't think he's necessarily the lock that people say he is. But I just I didn't feel like he was a superstar on that end this year. He was just... A star and yeah. that's enough for me to look at Jalen Attaway's overall offensive game which by the way for some nights was the only thing that was working for the Bonnies on that end
0: yeah and, and and kind of back up what you were saying there about the the, the rim defense for the Bonnies uh last season compared to this season uh last season you know they allowed 53.3% of all field goal attempts to be scored at the rim uh, this season, it went up by almost 7% to, to 60%. And 60%, like, like you said, kind of with their, their two point field goal percentage, it's average. Um, but last season is obviously well below average. So I think, like you said, Asun um, just kind of took that, that step back. And, and I, I, think really Attaway, you know, kind of stepped up and when things were really getting bad and, and became the, the leader of that team and, and in, in terms of, you um, contributions on court
2: I, I guess just you know one more comment on the Bonnies, like not to get too negative on the pod but I really didn't even consider Kyle Lofton or Jaron Holmes that much I, w- I think Lofton's gonna make it he's gonna probably be on the second or third team on the real ones but I I did feel like Attaway and Oshuni were clearly St. Bonaventure's two best players in in the conference season and I'm interested to see how that turns out. I mean, those guys all have really strong reputations based on what they've done the past couple years. But to me, really, those were the only two guys I strongly considered on my list. Yeah,
0: and I wonder, on the real list, if the the high expectations come in, you know, into mm-hmm. the season will hurt them. You know, if everyone expected them to run away with the conference and, and they didn't, um, will that hurt their their postseason awards? So it'll be definitely interesting to see see the actual list and, and you know, our list that, that we're putting together here with, with all the, the people that you have involved.
1: So I'll push back on one part of, of what Matt said. I think Lofton is fairly comfortably in the top 18. So when you combine that with reputation – I would be absolutely stunned if he is not on the real conference ones. I think whether or not he's in the top 15 is really tight, which we'll get to, but Jaron Holmes, who I picked as the MVP of the month of November in the a 10, his shooting just fell off a cliff this season, 39% from the field, 26% from three. And you look at Bonaventure failing to get into the top two, like everyone expected. And he was the first cut from my consideration list, which was yeah. I believe twenty-eight guys. Like the shooting numbers are just not enough to look at him as for an all conference spot.
0: Yeah, and looking at those shooting numbers, that that's another case with Saint Bonaventure where you wonder if if his legs were just tired because, you know, thirty nine percent hit his first year at St. Bonaventure, thirty eight percent his second year from three point range from Saint Bonaventure and to drop almost thirteen percent like it has this this season. I mean he, he, we know he's a good shooter. We we have enough of a sample to say that he, he is a good shooter. And I just wonder if it's, if it's tired legs that that's causing that, that such a large decline in the shooting numbers.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. And honestly, putting this together today, that was, th- that was the biggest bummer to me was just really soaking in his numbers because I, f- I felt like he was the most underappreciated player in the conference last year. I do not think he got a fair shake in the, in the all conference awards. I had him as, I had him on my second team last year, but he would have been my sixth first team guy. He ends up third team in the real conference awards. And this year to just fall off like that, it's disappointing. And that's a guy that this is a conversation for later in the off season, but he's only been at Bonaventure three years. And this season certainly not going to look good to pro scouts. So maybe he comes back next year and redeems himself. But for this year, we've, we've already spent too much time on him for this discussion. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I guess, you know, moving it along, my last guy in the second team, someone we haven't really talked about yet tonight, and, and to uh, start off, so, so far, my second team is Foster Lawyer, Yuri Collins, Oshuni, and Hyung Jun Lee. Last guy, which I don't know if the stats really back it up, but he's just crucial to his team's success, and it's a spalled one for VCU, a, uh, a top five point guard in the Atlantic 10, to say the least, and... BCU simply just got so much better when he came back from his injury. I also just give him all the credit in the world coming back early from his torn Achilles. He played 35 minutes a game in the conference. Really didn't come out very often. And as we all know, incredible defender. Um, as we said earlier, took the steals lead over Jacob Gilliard in the conference season. And he also, not maybe not quite to the extent of Yuri Collins, but he improved his scoring ability, too, this season. Actually got over 40% from three, so.
0: Yeah, and, and I think it, it was just such a noticeable difference from uh, VCU's offense when he mm-hmm. was there and, and when he wasn't. You know, the numbers back that up. They're, they're 18.59 points per 100 possessions better when, when on offense when when he's on the court compared to when he's not. So he, he was on my third team. He didn't quite make second. Um, I, did I miss us not talking about Tyler Burton? Because he, he was on my second team, and, and he seemed like definitely a, a pretty um, pretty surefire second team guy. I, I even considered him for the first team. I, I think he you know offers some much-needed defense to that Richmond team. He can score from anywhere on the court as well. So I think he's definitely a guy that, that deserves some second team love, if not first team love.
1: I, I think this is where the fact that Matt and I both – lean more heavily on the conference play statistics than the whole year, bumped Burton down. I have him on my third team very, very comfortably as an all-conference player, but he he was not that good offensively in January. And when you dig through his game log in conference play, the shooting numbers were just not that great. He shot under 33%, I believe, six times in conference play and when that's a third of your games even with how many great great performances he had I couldn't do it um Matt your pick of Ace Baldwin I did not go with him but I a thousand percent can endorse it um he was he was one of my guys that I had under consideration for that spot
2: yeah I mean the scoring numbers hurt a bit but just so important and if VCU didn't have, if they had ace the entire season, you, you just can't help but wonder, Do they win those home games in November? Do they maybe squeak out that UConn they're, game they're in the battle for Atlantis? It's They're just, already
1: in if they have ace all year.
2: Yeah, and it's that's just how tight the line can be in college basketball. But they, they could have had a much worse season if he never came back. They probably would have been much closer to a middle of the pack team. And instead, they had a chance to win the conference and get a one seed on the last save of the season. And that just doesn't happen without Baldwin.
0: Yeah, and it's really impressive from from Baldwin to to raise his perimeter shooting numbers like he has. I mean, over 16% improvement from last year it, on more attempts. So it's definitely you know something he worked on while he was rehabbing, clearly. And, and it, it's definitely paid dividends for for VCU and for Ace Baldwin.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, Tyler, so, I think, do you have one more second?
1: Yeah, gamer? for mine, I, I felt like there was a big drop-off. Uh, so, so far, I have hyun Jun Lee, Jacob Gilliard, Jalen Attaway, Yuri Collins. I think there's a big drop between those guys and kind of the next crew of players. And I, I, I still can't believe I actually did this because this is not the kind of player that I tend to like to re- reward in these. But I gave my last spot to Joe Bamisilk. On GW, his shooting numbers are like stunningly more efficient than you would think for the number of circus shots that he will occasionally throw up. But 47% field goal percentage, 39% from three in conference play. He finished third in scoring at 18 points a game. And I think there's a universe where GW goes like five and 13 and he puts up the same stats, but that's not what happened. They ended up as the seven seed. And it was Bamisil's ability to just eviscerate bad defenses that got them into the top half. He's a better player than James Bishop, even though I think <laughs> Bishop still gets more notoriety. And more importantly, the piece that's just never talked about is he is far and away their best perimeter defender on a team that was actually respectable defensively. I know they finished 12th in the conference in Kenpom, defensive efficiency but I expected them to be just trapped in 14th no matter what he's the best player among a group of bad defenders around him um it it was kind of a last second pick for me I had him squarely on the third team but I just kept going back to the shooting numbers for him to be that efficient in a terrible (laughs) offensive system is that's that's second team worthy for me
0: and, and who knows if if the the system is really bad or if it's a lot of if it's a lot of a uh, bishop calling his own number. Well, when, bishop when he...
1: makes the system bad, <laughs>
0: right? So we don't want to we don't want to um, you know we don't want to cast any aspersions on. Jamie and Christian's offensive system with with James Bishop in it, but I think I, I, I guessed uh, Bennis Meal for one of the uh, trivia questions you had because, like I said, his his block numbers and his steal numbers were pretty surprising when when looking at the data. So I, I definitely did not have him on any of my three teams, but but I don't think it's a it, it, it's a crazy suggestion just because he is an efficient shooter and he and he has those um those defensive counting numbers that that are kind of surprising when you see him.
2: Yeah, I think, so I had Hill as my first player out, actually. He would have been number 16 for me. I gave some consideration to him and James Bishop, but what it came down to, and I know I didn't pick either of them, but Bamisil, more efficient. And then also, I just get the perception watching GW that he's a way better defender than Bishop. Uh, Doesn't seem as interested on that end maybe sometimes. But yeah, he had a great season, though. Without Bamisil transferring in, GW would have been a nightmare i mean it would have been very comparable to the last two years and instead they fought for a seven seed
0: which nobody could have expected if we would have asked the uh the color commentator on the uh dayton dayton espn plus broadcast who who called james bishop the best player in the conference he would definitely be shocked that he's not he's not among the uh the, the player of the year discussions here. But, but I think yeah. I think we'll, we'll get
2: him will. on the pod next year for us to <laughs> do a <about> it. <laughs> My only <laughs>
1: rebuttal to you guys on this is GW finished seventh despite what I still believe is a bottom three roster in this conference. And, and the biggest reason why they did is because Bamisil and Brayon Freeman were both just so much better than we expected. And, and I, I think that that has to factor in. He elevated a bad roster this year.
2: Yeah, I, yeah I still had so many Power Five transfers though. I I I picked GW ninth in the preseason. I had no business doing that. That was, in fact, like I'll say that was a bad pick, even
0: though it ended up being kind of right.
1: Yeah, I'm still not sure how they actually finished seventh, but yeah, it's th- too They're just
0: flat track bullies. Like I said, they 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 beat up on the the bottom of the conference and, <laughs> and couldn't beat anyone on the top. But that's how you finish, you know, in the middle if you yeah. if you do that.
1: UMass yeah. got a five seed doing that last season. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it can
2: work
1: all right so third team we'll be a little quicker with this uh, i'll fire through all five of mine and then we can hit any that you guys feel are interesting um we covered ace baldwin and tyler burton they were very easily all conference players for me uh gibson jimerson from st louis the the key to the billikens scoring really the one guy who can consistently get buckets for them And then the other very easy one for me, Chuba Ohams, who finished top five in the nation in rebounding this year. And the biggest reason why I had to put him on, Fordham goes three and two in the five games where Darius Quisenberry missed. And for them to get three wins without Quisenberry and Antonio Day, and for their offense to continue to be respectable during that time is due to Ohams. 17 points, 12 rebounds a game across those five. That was, that was a sufficient tiebreaker for me for him to beat anybody else. And I actually almost picked him over Bamasil for second team. And then my last spot, um, my honorable mentions, if we were going all the way to 18 players, I would have included Jordan Hall and Deshaun Swartz and Ashuna Shunahi, who was my last guy out. I end up taking Kyle Lofton for the final spot. His shooting numbers are slightly better than Jaron Holmes' abominable ones, but to me it's just the assists. It was one of the two things that continued to work in St. Bonaventure's offense, even when it was at its worst. It was Jaron Holmes' two-point scoring and Kyle Lofton's distribution, and he kind of guided them through the dark days. It's a bummer that he didn't go seize player of the year this year. Like I think most of us thought he would in November, but he was still good enough to sneak into my final spot because quite frankly, I still think he's this, one of the two best passers in this league. It's him and Yuri Collins, and then it's everybody else.
0: So the yeah. only, the, I, I had, you know, many that, that you had there. Um, You, you mentioned Deshaun, Deshaun Swart, Schwartz, wow. Um, <laughs> Uh, just just missing out um i had him in my third team um looking at his numbers it, it's kind of surprising They're that amazing. he actually had um the, the most field goal attempts for mason this year and i think that just because orduro missed a few games uh, due to injury but but he's one of those guys where he's he's an efficient scorer um wherever he, he takes a shot he's shooting nearly 70 percent at the rim uh almost 45 percent from the mid-range and 38 and percent from three-point range so he's definitely you know, one of the the key parts of that Mason offense, yeah, they finished ninth, but but it's not because of the offense, and and he definitely um, is able to cash in when the opponents are uh, double teaming Duro. You know, he's Schwartz can either hit a three, he can. Um, Drive after getting the pass from Maduro uh, from the post. And, and I think he's definitely worthy of a 13 uh, spot. And the only other uh, difference, 13 spot, I, I want to throw the uh, goal boys some love and, and I put Clifton Moore as a 13 uh, player. He averaged 13 points, he averaged six rebounds and, and 2.7 blocks a game. Um, so that's just kind of, I, I think he deserved it. It, it was definitely a, a pretty ugly season for LaSalle, again, besides these last three games. So uh, I, I think he was kind of the, the lone bright spot there uh, for most of the season.
2: So if I'm hearing this correctly, neither of you guys had a second Dayton player on your third team.
1: Malachi was too – Malachi fell off too much in the middle of February for me to do it.
0: And I think that's just kind of how how Dayton plays. You know, there there's no – you know malachi is definitely the point guard and and holmes is definitely the leader on defense but when it comes to offensive contributions you know you might get 12 or 13 from one of the kobe's you might get 12 or 13 from tumani kamara i I don't think there was enough to really kind of vault any of those guys into a all-conference position
1: If we're gonna rank 16 through 40 dayton has four and maybe five guys in that group and that's why they're so good
2: well That's a fair point and I I think Dayton is one of the most like they they share the love on offense. No one really scores a lot of points even Holmes who we all have on the first team but I did have Malachi on the third team. I at first I really didn't think I was going to consider him that much. I was actually thinking more to Mani Kamara based on how he's played the last month but I landed on Smith. I think part of it like as fans that watch every Dayton game, we get frustrated watching him consistently drive the lane and get blocked. He has those freshman moments where he makes bad turnovers. But overall, I think I pointed out earlier, second in the conference and assists a turnover, uh, seventh in assists overall. One of the best defensive guards in the entire conference. And overall, I, I just feel like his all around contributions, also a triple nickel machine, like a surprisingly physical player for his size. He goes up and gets a lot of rebounds. So I ended up with him on my third team. Other guys, we already talked about Adaway, Burton, and O'Hams, and then uh, Jimerson, too. So I didn't really have any other disagreements, but felt like I had to get a second Dayton player considering they almost won the conference. And Malachi did fall off for a bit. In, um, you know, early February, but I felt like the last four or five games he kind of got back on track for Dayton and it was a close call. Um, a few others, though, Jordan Hall, like you mentioned, Tyler,
1: just There's a couldn't... lot of empty stats. Yeah, I mean, but
0: great stats, but well, that's the thing with See, St. I don't Joe's even know if they were, they were that great this year.
2: Yeah, that they is? really weren't. Well, and with St. Joe's, too, they ended up with the 13 seed. And I don't think you can say Jordan Hall had no health. I mean, you have Taylor Funk having a great shooting season. Eric Reynolds, one of the best freshmen in the league. And they finally had a center, Edukay Obina, who had a nice season. So it's not like it was a one-man show like Brian Daly two years ago where he just put up monster stats and dragged St. Joe's to like three wins. I felt like they had more talent around Hall and they still couldn't make anything of it. So I just couldn't pick a St. Joe's player.
1: The, the, the only – you mentioned putting on Malachi, rewarding Dayton. I, I tried to stay away from just kind of parceling it out via the standings this year. I feel like I really only did that for my last spot, where it came down to Lofton or Ashunahi because at that point I still didn't know who I felt was the second-best Bonaventure player. Um, Clifton Moore, Jordan Hall, Deshaun Schwartz. And it basically just came down to I, I did want to reward St. Bonaventure because – as disappointing as they were compared to expectations, they're still a double buy team. And they're still they were still a really good team this season. So that was really the only spot where that kicked in for me.
2: All right. They're the all conference teams. We'll see how the real ones shake out, but not not too many major disagreements overall. I feel like we did a pretty good job on these, although this was I feel like we probably say this every year this what did feel like a very difficult year though I've to not make up these every teams year.
1: I had 27 <laughs> guys who I felt were worthy the first year we did this pod I had 17 and I literally couldn't figure out who the last guy would be
0: yeah a- I, th- I think maybe like 12 of the well I guess uh, I guess 12 would be the first two teams but I, I feel like like you guys said there's there's definitely a clear line between you know kind of the the bottom of the, the second team and the, and the top of the third team when it comes to, to who's making the turn. I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of, a lot of uh, agreement on those, the, the top 12 guys. And then maybe the last six guys in, in the real conference team will be the ones that, that there's a lot of disagreements about. All
1: right. So we'll keep this chugging along here. I, I think we go over to rookie and rookie of the year and all rookie team. I feel like this will be the least controversial here. Rookie of the year. Duran Holmes, just one stat I want to throw in because I, I left this out of his first team case. He's second in the conference in free throw rate. He's getting to the line four and a half times a game, which for a freshman is just astounding, but I don't think we really have to go any further than this on him. We all had him on first team. You guys are nodding your heads. He's the rookie of the year. I think it will be unanimous, even though we'll never actually know the results of the coaches poll because they don't want to tell us. Um, my old rookie team, I had three other guys who were just easy locks. Malachi Smith, the great distributor of the Dayton, of the Dayton Flyers, second best player on the number two team in the conference. That definitely gets you on all rookie. Eric Reynolds from St. Joe's, a just absolute scoring machine who has really come into his own in February. And then Primo Spears, whose numbers aren't spectacular, but Duquesne's offense absolutely sucks. And for him to be able to do what he did this season was impressive. My last spot, um, I had a few guys under consideration, Jaden Nunn, Jordan Nesbitt, Jackie Johnson. But I went with Brian Freeman for GW, leads that team in assists. He, like I mentioned earlier, is a big reason why they've outperformed this year. He's the guy that they desperately needed to actually like put Bishop and Bamisil in places where they could catch and shoot instead of just GW running ISOs all game. Uh twelve points a game in conference to go with all those assists. I think he's had a really impressive season. And I- I've said it before, I I think this is a bad roster for him. If GW switches things up or if he transfers, I think he has a chance to be a superstar in the next few years.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good call out. I also had Brayon Freeman um GW kind of needed a guy like that that could be maybe a little lower usage player but sets up his teammates and he filled that role perfectly um also had Duran Malachi and Eric Reynolds a second my last pick I ended up going with Jordan Nesbitt of St. Louis who I guess not a a true rookie he played three games for Memphis last year but I think he minutes last year yeah he keeps his eligibility (laughs) um very few monster games for Nesbitt this year Although still overall solid stats, nine points, four and a half rebounds, um, had a couple of nice three point shooting games down the stretch. And overall, just felt like he was a solid all around contributor. Um, I believe he's a starter for St. Louis, right? Or if not, he's the yes. sixth yeah. man. I think he starts. So, yeah, if- being a starter on a borderline double bye team and putting up those respectable sets, I ended up with him. Although Primo Spears put up some nice numbers too. I think the fact that Duquesne was as bad as they were on offense maybe pulls a little bit on his shoulders, although he didn't have a whole lot to work with either. So I'm not blaming him by any means.
1: He certainly didn't make the selection much
0: better.
2: Yeah. But I ended up with Nesbitt for my last pick.
0: So I I didn't have Nesbitt only because I didn't think he would be eligible, but I would definitely, I had Primo Spears, but. Uh, I, I already submitted my ballot to you guys, so um, I, I can't make that switch now. But but if I I would have known that or would have thought of that, I would have put Nesbitt. But but since we basically more or less agree, I'm going to go ahead and get my uh, Malachi Smith take you know out to the world instead of just having you know telling it to my my three year old daughter. Um, I, coming into the year, I, I was definitely very worried that his last name would put too much expectations. Onto him and, and people would expect too much because he was scoochie's brother and then the first couple of games he was the lone bright spot in in those you know three losses and, and one win where they barely squeaked by uic um so i think as the season kind of kind of grew and he, he played better I, I think more and more you know became expected of him i think he kind of hit a, a natural wall for a freshman point guard um you know freshman point guards aren't supposed to be able to do the the things that he's done you know they aren't supposed to match up with with an ace baldwin a Yuri collins and and come out ahead um so i think we're he's he's only going to get better from from here on there you know i'm definitely frustrated when he continues to drive headfirst into into the army of six eight guys that that patrol the paint in the A-10. Um, he's only shooting 50% on his shots at the rim, which is well below average. But I think he's gonna learn as he grows older, he's not gonna take those shots and, and he's just gonna get more mature and, and more better. So I'm really excited about, um, about what the future holds for Malachi Smith.
2: And I think with Dayton too, they needed a guy that would want the ball with the game on the line. I think Malachi Smith is one of the most fearless freshmen I've ever seen, whether it, I mean, for better or worse, like against Kansas, he hits a few (laughs) huge shots down the stretch. Um, No, just this last week, like hit a huge shot in the paint against Davidson with two minutes to go, hit a three to put Dayton up five with a minute to go at Richmond. And then there's the games that like George Mason, where I think he goes five for 18 from the field and just gets blocked over and over. But You know, he he is that confident guy for the Dayton that needs to bring the energy to the offense, and he'll take those tough shots. And I agree. I think, you know, his efficiency numbers maybe weren't the best, missed a lot of shots at the rim, but that's something that it's easy to see where he can get better at that next year and beyond.
1: All right. So we'll slide over to the all-defensive team. Um, I I picked – I guess I'll go into the team first. Uh, so one key thing for me you always have to include a wing because I think it's really easy to just go point guards and centers in this because they're the ones who rack up the counting stats so my guards the two masters of steals Jacob Gilliard and Ace Baldwin although Ace Baldwin kind of plays more of a wing position on defense a lot of times he is responsible for the opponent's best shooter he's the one chasing hyungjin Lee he's the one chasing Gibson Jimerson. he's I personally think the best player on the VCU defense, I think most people would give that honor to Vince Williams, but Ace has the toughest job and he continues to excel at it. The big guys, Deron Holmes, the best player on the Dayton defense, deserves to be rewarded for that. And I went Ashuna Shunahi over, I think you can consider Ohams, Mikel Mitchell, Clifton Moore all for this spot. But the Bonaventure defense was still top five, according to Ken Palm. And the biggest reason why was a he's shot blocking. So even though he wasn't as great as he was last year, he still deserves to be on there. And then for my wing, I I went Vince Williams. uh, Some of the other guys they considered for that spot, Ticket Gaines, Keyshawn Curry, Kobe Elvis. But Vince Williams consistently having to play against bigger guys while also occasionally chasing wings around when it's necessary. He's one of the most versatile players on on defense in the A-10, like we talked about earlier. And he is very deserving of a spot.
2: Yeah, I think for Vince Williams, I think I gave it away earlier. He was my defensive player of the year. And to me, it came down to if there's one player in the A-10 that could guard anybody you threw on him, I think Vince Williams could have a fighting chance against any player in the conference. So I think you have to put him on this team. Also had Gilliard, Duran Holmes, Oshun Oshuni. Ace Baldwin was my sixth man. I... Wanted to put him on, but I also wanted to re- uh, reward Mikhail Mitchell for Rhode Island. Even though the Rams were just flat out bad this season, they they still had a really really good interior uh, presence on defense, one of the best shot blocking teams in the country, and a lot of that had to do with Mikhail Mitchell. So ended up with him as my fifth man on the defensive team.
1: I'm yeah, just I'm sure have- putting three centers on. So yeah,
2: I didn't like it, but. I don't care. I did
0: that. Yeah. The, the, it, it, and I kind of wondered if I should put, you know, so many centers, but there's just so many good centers in, in the, uh, in the A-10 this year. And, and I feel like there's so many good centers, you know, in in the A-10 for the past couple of years, but I mean, you have uh, Oshun- Oshunahi, Mikhail Mitchell, Clifton Moore, Deron Holmes all have at least a, a 9% block rate. So it's definitely, you know, Tough to tough to score a basket in the paint against those guys, um, but but yeah, my team more or less w- was the the same as your guys. It's just I had Mitchell Mitchell in there as well.
2: All right, I All right. think we're um, down to our, our well, we have some of our fun awards left, right? Or do we have any real ones? We also didn't.
1: To. You both had Vince Williams as your defensive player of the year, right? Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, I uh,
2: like I said, I actually I would take Ace,
1: and I nearly did. I think he's the best defender on VCU. But for me, I, at the last moment, this was the very final line I filled out in my ballot. I went with Jacob Gilliard. Um, it, it's a very different discussion. You have three guys in Holmes, Williams, and Baldwin who are excellent within the setup of a great defense. Now, part of the reason why VCU and Dayton's defenses are great are because they have a lot of great defenders. You got to give credit to the Keyshawn Currys and the Kobe Elvises and the Malachi Smiths of the world too. And, Hassan Ward, and the list goes on and on. Richmond's defense was basically mediocre all season, but they have a lot of bad defenders around Jacob Gilliard, and he is still just the best one-on-one defender in this league. You still see him just tear games apart. He picked Yuri Collins' pocket a few times in a way that felt like he was like snatching his soul from his body last weekend, and – that, that's the thing I'm going to miss watching with Gilliard going away is he's been doing that for years and years now. I ended up just deciding to go with who I think is the best defender in the league here, even if the team stats don't back it up.
2: Yeah, definitely not as much help on that, on, <laughs> on that end as some of the other guys we mentioned. And I think it is tough going through this every season like how much of it is team defense we're rewarding how much of it is individual so it, it is a tough balance to find but you can't you can't deny that gilliard even though he's been on a team that hasn't put up great defensive stats most of his career he still has a really big impact on that end
1: um most improved did we all take uh, i'm sorry six man. did we all take kobe brea I did. I did, yeah. Because this felt like it felt like it was going to be like last year again, where it was kind of a crapshoot award, and then the last six games of the year, Kobe Brea hits 19 threes and puts up 12 points a game, and yeah. Now as we roll into March, I now obviously, thankfully, I don't have to ever root against Kobe Brea, but I think he's moving into like put the fear of God in the other team when he's wide open for a three territory. Or even when even, he's not wide open. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. Even, you know, he, he hit that, you know, three the, uh, against Davidson that put Dayton up, mm-hmm. you know, straight in the eye of the, of the Davidson defender. You know, that was a, as contested as contested can be. And he, and he still hit it. And I think he's he's done that a few times this year.
1: He's, I, a, he's on a borderline NCAA tournament team. And for me, when it's a clutch situation and they need a bucket, I want him to be the guy to shoot which is really saying something. And I, I think that alone makes you the sixth man of the year.
2: I think he also ended up leading the conference in three-point percentage. He did Just conference play, 48%, which is wild. And I think early in the season, a little bit, um, you know, concerned he wasn't going to have a big impact for Dayton, but ended up just being huge down the stretch.
1: All right, most improved. I actually want to hear who you guys have first because I I think I know where this is going to eventually end up, and I'm pretty sure I did not pick the guy who will win it.
2: Yeah, I think I always kind of misunderstand this award because usually the guy who ends up winning it is like an all-conference player, but every year when we do this, I look at someone that went from basically having no impact or very small impact to being a, a crucial role player at least. And to me, that was Michael Jones for Davidson who I, we didn't talk about him at all. If he wanted, like you could maybe make a case just because of his efficiency for Davidson.
1: It's too deep this year.
2: It it is. I, I saw, I wanted to reward his great season though. I don't think you could ask for a much better fourth option. And he's a big reason why Davidson ended up as one of the best offensive teams. And I also think defensively his stats checked out and he was one of their better guys there too.
0: Yeah, that's not a bad pick. I I, kind of considered him as well, but but I ultimately ended up going with uh, Yuri Collins and um, he definitely was a part of, you know, a a major contributor to, to the St. Louis team last year, but I think his It's the way his role increased this year. Last year, he was definitely more of only a distributor. And I know I said earlier that I would like him to take more shots, but he increased um, his usage rate by over or almost uh, 9%. And he is increased his three point shooting by 14%. He increased his um, free throw rate by Oh, no, I'm sorry. He, he increased his free throw percentage by almost uh, 15%. So he just became the most important player in SLU's offense where maybe he was the third choice or fourth choice last year. And, um, you know, kind of like <laughs> like you or Matt, not sure really what this entails. Uh, he he was the choice that, that I went with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I'm amazed. I think Josh Aduro is going to win this award. I do too. Uh, but for me, the issue is I, I think the Josh Aduro – most improved segment came in February of last year. He was yeah, really he was pretty good, good the last, last two, three yeah. weeks of the season, yeah. and he obviously took a step up. But for me, this award was really easy. Gibson Jimerson got benched at the end of last season. He was at, he scored less than three points a game over his last eight games of the season. This, his last five, his scoring was zero 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 nine zero. He then turned around this year, put up 16 points a game, was one of the, well, I guess he was always one of the best three-point shooters in the conference, but he massively increased his free throw rate. He's getting to the line three and a half times a game, which is wonderful for an 82% free throw shooter. And he went from a guy that was basically an afterthought last year to clearly an all-conference player.
0: Yeah, and that's a, (laughs) when you say it like that, that's that's a really good pick. Um. I know going from last year, to this year, uh, last year, 8% of his shots were at the rim this year, 28% of his shots were at the rim and, and you know, he, he made them at an above average above average amount. So that's still, it, it's less than the average player in, in terms of an attempt rate at the rim, but it's pretty good for a guy that's shooting 41% from three point range. You know, if he's a threat to, to go to the rim and, and he's able to score at a consistent rate, you know, you can't just close out on him hard because he can blow right past you and, and, and get a layup too. So, so that's a really good pick too. Um, I, I think there's definitely a lot of a really good picks and any, any of those three, I think would be really good choices when it comes to this award.
1: All right. Coach of the year. Will John Rothstein be pleased or not?
2: <laughs> I, I have some thoughts on this one. I, I thought it was an easy choice. It's Bob McKillow. I mean, they, they, end up as the outright champions losing two very important guards from last year's team. And the fact, I think that he goes out and gets Foster lawyer who's immediately one of the best players in the conference. You know, he gets Bradkiewicz to end up being a, you know, a strong case for player of the year. Maybe he wins it. And also just getting the most out of a team. That's not all that deep. I think it's gotta be McKillop. They didn't take a single really bad loss all season. Just, the you know what you want to see in terms of con- consistency throughout the
0: entire season yeah mccope was was the person that i considered and and i noticed that you didn't uh, mention among his accolades his his place on the uh sexiest mid-major coaches list <laughs> yeah, but, he res-
2: respects the game too wearing a suit
0: <laughs> right I mean,
2: that counts for something <laughs>
0: but, but I actually went with, um, with, with Kyle Neptune. And, and it was either between um, McKillop or Kyle Neptune. But I just think, you know, preseason, everyone's making the Fordham too high jokes. Um, and, and to finish out of the pillow fight, um, I actually did the math and compared to where they, his Ken, uh, where each A-10 team's Ken Pomerating rating was at the beginning of the season and where it was um, going into the A-10 tournament. Fordham had the biggest, you know, the best improvement. Um, so I just think he made um, more out of, out of nothing really this season. And, and, and to turn around a program that, that has been the butt of, a, of, of 10 Twitter jokes for, for almost half a decade now, I, I think you got to reward him for that.
1: I considered three coaches, those two and the one I picked. And in the end for me, I just, I didn't feel right giving coach of the year to a guy who was still under 500 even though the Mm -hmm. Kyle Neptune season was still spectacular. And uh, I I just think when we, if we look back at these awards a few years later, we're going to see that Fordham finished in the eight, nine game. And because Kyle Neptune's going to win coach of the year. Um, And we're either going to think one of two things like, Oh, well, weird Kyle Neptune won coach of the year when he went eight and 10, but never won it again when he was better. Or we're going to think, wow, how the hell did Kyle Neptune win coach of the year when they lost all those seniors and immediately fell off a cliff? I I like to reward the teams at the top. And while Bob McKillop did a great job finding Foster Lawyer and fitting him perfectly into this roster, I'm rewarding the guy who did a great in-season turnaround. And we talked about this on the pod a few weeks ago, and I almost wrote him off after they lost to LaSalle. But... Anthony Grant really turned this team around in November.
2: Fifty like, percent of Dayton Twitter just gave us a one-star rating. <laughs> the Austin <laughs> the
1: defense in the Austin P game. I just
2: gave you a one-star such rating
0: on a Twitter bad or on, in Abomination.
1: ITunes. Like if you go back and watch the second half of Dayton Austin P, the Flyers wouldn't get invited to the Vegas sixteen or the CIT or whatever that fourth-rate tournament is is called now. I, I, I'm so impressed by how well he got a bunch of young guys to commit on defense to go from being really just a disgrace to the game of basketball four games in on that end to the second best defense in the A ten. That's coaching on your toes. That's that's what being a great coach is all about is being able to fix your flaws.
2: Look I I'm a big AG guy. I think he is the right man for Dayton. I'm excited to have him leading the program. But to steal from Coach K's retirement ceremony on Saturday night, those three losses—that was unacceptable. The season was acceptable, but that was unacceptable, and he should be sorry. But no, seriously, the the adjustment during the season—you know, beating Kansas, winning or, in Orlando—that's unbelievable, and he should get a lot of credit for that. I just think you you can't overlook though; those <laughs> games should have never even been close and Dayton lost three of them so yeah.
0: and and so I, I was talking about with my Kyle Neptune picks you know the difference between the beginning and end of uh, the season with the Ken Palm rankings and and Dayton was was third in that they, they had the third best improvement so that's definitely a you know a feather in in Anthony Grant's cap um, I, I did however uh, when when Sully and, and Brooks Hall had their uh, had their podcast talking about anthony grant and the performance this season i i put on a a a mini twitter thread slash rant where these three losses that they're not something new for anthony grant led teams and Mm -hmm. you know i kind of put that in close games you know you're going to win some you're going to lose some dayton twitter kind of talks a lot about anthony grant's record in in close games and a lot of it is just luck you know it's down to variance a call here a bounce here um, but if you're if you're losing or winning close games against VCU, if you're losing or winning close games against um, against Davidson, if you're losing or winning close games against Kansas, you know mm-hmm. I, I can accept that. What I cannot accept is continuing to continually having close games against these type of teams that they lost this year because it's not new. So uh, last year they, I, I believe it was, oh man, I'm going to have to check the <laughs> check the schedule to to jog my memory on, on which close game they, they had against a, a team, Eastern Illinois, that's who it was. They, they won by three and Eastern Illinois had mm-hmm. a shot as time was expiring to, to tie the game. That, that's one of those close wins where a, a bounce and it could be a loss on the same level as the three games that we had, you know, this season. Uh, the same thing in the OB year, Indiana State, we won by six, or <laughs> I shouldn't say we, Dayton <laughs> won by six or one by five, but that game was closer than it should have been, especially with a team, you know, that, that had, the, 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 had so much talent as the 2020 Dayton Flyers team did. So for whatever reason, Anthony Grant led teams continually seem to be, have these close games that uh, against lower competition to, to start the season. And this this year, it finally bit Dayton, you know, in, in the behind, and it, it basically kind of ended at large chances um, b- b- before the season could get started. Because you know, there was a lot of talk about the LaSalle ending Dayton's uh, at large chances, and that's true. It did, but the only reason that ended it is because of those three games at the beginning of the season. So I just, you know, uh, I, I I don't think Anthony Grant should be fired. I th- I, I think he he needs, you know, certainly. The, the years that Malachi Smith and Daron Holmes are, are at Dayton to, to, um, to lead the program. But I think there should be serious questions asked if Dayton does not make, and, and you know, knock on wood, we all picked Dayton to, to win the A-10 tournament. But if they don't do that, and if they don't make the tournament next year, I think there should be serious questions about his job. But hopefully as three, three University of Dayton uh, alumnus, um, that, won't be, that, that won't come to fruition. We won't have to ask those questions.
2: Yeah, I don't think, I, you're I have think to those ask are all those questions. <laughs> now, those are all fair points. I think one more guy, too. I mean, so I personally had Kyle Neptune and Anthony Grant as a pretty distant third and fourth place. I almost picked Mike Rhodes for this. And I think we forget, you know, we all know Ace Baldwin returns and their season starts turning around, but. VCU also lost two pretty important players, Jameer Watkins and Jared McAllister, right before the season started, and I just feel like Rhodes had to overcome an awful lot this season, or this offseason, so I, I feel like you could make a strong case, and honestly, if VCU won against St. Louis and took the one seed, I probably would have ended up picking him. It was that close between Rhodes and McKillick for me.
1: For me, Rhodes, its like how Bill Belichick never wins NFL Coach of the Year. Like they were good because of the infrastructure and the system that Rhodes has built this year. So, if you want to credit him, if you want to credit him, you actually probably should. But it just like it doesn't feel like he had this incredible coaching year because of the groundwork that he's put together the last few seasons.
2: I guess, but if you go back to. You know, the takes in early November, a lot of people had VCU in the middle of the pack and had no confidence that they would do anything this year after all those injuries. So, yeah, give him credit for building a program and getting the right players that fit what he wants to do out there. But I think, you know, he executed it perfectly or almost perfectly this year. Maybe if kind of the same thing as Grant, where they lost a couple of questionable games, although not in the same ballpark as what Dayton did.
0: I think the, my thinking with him is the turnaround happened to, to coincide with Ace Baldwin coming back. So was it mm-hmm. Rhodes or was it Ace Baldwin returning? And, you know, it's, it's tough to lose a guy like Ace Baldwin um, for, for half a year. And, and, you know, it's certainly any coach would struggle with that. But it just it, it seems too coincidental that the timing is is with when Ace returned.
2: Well, at least VCU, their team doctor wins. Maybe he wins coach of the year (laughs) for getting ace back on the court and playing so well, because that, that was huge for sure.
1: All right. So uh, the fun awards, I don't think we have to go through all these, but just one, I want to mention game of the year. I was torn on this until the final day of the season. And this isn't even outcome based because (laughs) there wasn't that much drama at the end compared to some other choices, but. I knew at the under eight time out of the second half, the game of the year was Staten Davidson. That felt like a heavyweight NCAA tournament game, two teams just playing at their absolute best. And from just a watching and enjoying basketball perspective, it was sensational. Everyone who stepped on that court was playing great. They were just going shot for shot with each other. And it was two guys in Foster Lawyer and Deron Holmes who – I have on my first team all-conference really shining through at the end. And when you have superstars playing at that level, you you just enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I was worried that that we'd be accused of of recency bias and and homerism here with this one. But it it really just was um, an incredible game, you know, incredible shot making by by both teams and and really just – I mean, we aren't neutrals, but I think the neutral really would have enjoyed that game because, you know, a lot of good offense, a, a lot of, you know, timely defense when it when it counted. Um, and, and yeah, it, I, I agree. I, I think it's definitely the game of the year.
2: Yeah, I, I strongly considered that game. I think what really my big takeaway, neither team made mistakes. Uh Dayton had four turnovers. Davidson had five. They just is a very clean basketball game. Unfortunately, a couple key players fouled out at the end. And maybe some people would say the officiating was too tight, but really well played on both ends. I ended up going with a different Davidson game, and that is the uh, Michael Jones buzzer beater against Richmond. That was my other choice. Yeah. And I felt the same way about that game. Just two teams, very like, You know, very competitive, uh, not making mistakes, just a very well played basketball game. I'm not sure I'd say it was quite at the same level, like in terms of talent, just since Richmond wasn't really as good this year, but kind of felt the same way. And in that case, it was Michael Jones and Jacob Gilliard, who both had monster scoring games and watching them go back and forth was just from an entertainment perspective, as much fun as I've had watching a game this season.
1: That night I was also just on the edge of my seat in the second half watching every Mike Jones cut off the ball, Mm -hmm. knowing that if he got even the slightest bit of space, he was getting the ball and he was pulling. And I I really thought he was going to shoot from half court at some point. He might, (laughs) he probably should have, but yeah, that was the the Inferno game was also up there.
0: Yeah. I watched that one on, on replay. You know, I obviously knew the, the outcome but it was still just incredible. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. breathtaking to see just him pulling up everywhere on the court and, and, and nearly not missing, you know, so uh, it's definitely not a bad pick to, to, to pick go with that one.
1: All right. Any other fun awards that you guys wanted to note?
2: Uh, not too much. I mean, I guess I gave Michael, you guy to Devonte Gaines just since I, i think for weeks i said i was gonna find a spot for him on the all-conference team and then i you know i looked at it yesterday and his stats just weren't there but so like like you said the top rebounder without a last name that starts with o a really good shooter so just wanted to give him a shout
0: out so i was gonna say um i i only went for super senior i went with uh jacob gilliard but, I, but thinking about it, I was wondering if we could have done um, like the uh, NBA did with the uh, Atlanta Hawks, you know, uh, about five years ago, where they gave the entire team the uh, the Player of the Week award. I think we should give the entire Richmond team the uh, Super Senior Award <laughs> since they've been super seniors for for quite some time. Yeah, super senior citizens, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, for, for me, the only other one, um, Glue Guy of the Year. Uh, this is my personal favorite award. Um I thought deeply about Gaines and Fred Thatch, who has almost been playing better than a glue guy the last few games. But I I, I just wanted to note Josh Colon Navarro's contributions to Fordham in some way. He is the epitome of just a grit glue guy. He does literally not one flashy thing on the court, but he is such an irritant. And you watch him get under the skin of opposing point guards all season long. He stepped up big time when Quisenberry was out and kicked up his scoring. He's just he's a really, really important guy to Fordham. And I don't think people really notice his contributions that much.
2: Yeah. That's a good call out. And he's a he's a super senior too, I think. He's been he there for a while now. So yeah, that's a good one. But all right, that was fun going through these though. I think we had some good answers for the the postseason awards, some good, uh, good debates there. I, I feel like overall, a lot of these two, I'm really interested to see how coach of the year turns out, especially I think whether you go with McKillop winning the conference or Neptune just surprising everybody and bringing Fordham it. back. Yeah, there's just some, some good debates this year. And overall, um, a lot of them just feel a lot closer than the past few seasons.
1: All right, Matt Ryan, you you made it through this full marathon pod with us. You had to avoid a sleeping child at one point. This isn't even the most impressive thing that you do throughout the season. You're the master of the stat graphs. Where can any where can everybody find those those beautiful graphs and the occasional date and take?
0: Yeah, so if you want the beautiful stat graphs, just go to twitter.com slash a10 stats. Um, no, no hot date takes will be there. I, I try to keep it neutral and, and keep all the uh, just let the numbers do the talking there. If you do want the hot takes and um, mix the hot date and takes mixed in with maybe some uh, a Scottish soccer takes and, and Cleveland sports takes you can find me at Matt Ryan 86 on Twitter. Um, And I just want to mention that tomorrow I am going to, if you enjoyed the nearly two hours of us discussing uh, our a 10 coach of the, or coach of the year awards and player of the year awards and and a 10 tournament preview. uh, I'm going to have about 6,000 words on why each team definitely will and definitely will not win the Atlantic 10 tournament. So uh, look for that.
1: And by the time you guys are listening to this, that will probably be up. So Everyone go check that out. Matt, Ryan, thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me guys.
1: Yeah. And everybody else, thank you for listening to this marathon episode, making it to the end. You know, the drill, give us five stars on iTunes. It's a 10 tournament week. We're going to have great content coming to you every day of the tournament. So be sure to come back and tune in.